Hello, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Thanks for finding the pod. Thanks for listening. On today's show, we're going to react to what happened on Wednesday at the Western and Southern Open in Mason, Ohio, near Cincinnati. Just in the last three or four minutes, Alia Tomlanovich has wrapped up a win over Paula Bedosa that finished at 1.25 in the morning, tournament time. So as I'm recording this, it is 10.28 p.m. Wednesday night on the West Coast. That means it is currently 1.28 a.m. in Mason, Ohio, and again, play just wrapped just in the last five minutes. We went long today because there was a rain delay for about an hour and a half at the end of the day during the night session. Just uh, prior to Tomlanovich finishing her match, Seb Korda defeated Francis Tiafo in another late night match. And then in the signature match of the day, the first match of the night session, Rafa Nadal defeated, or I'm sorry, um, Borna Choric defeated Rafael Nadal. And that's what I'm going to spend a lot of my time talking about first. So let's go ahead and discuss that. Um, first, I want to set the stage of coming into the match between the two players. So let's start with Borna Choric. And how's he been doing? Where's he been? Where does he kind of stack up in all of this? So Choric hasn't been around a lot the last couple of years. Um, and even before that, the best season of his, his career was 2018, where he made the semis of Indian Wells, and he made the finals of Shanghai, and he won the Davis Cup that year as well. And he got to his career-high ranking of number 12, I believe. I want to get total confirmation of that. Let's see, 12, I want to... Yep, that was his career-high ranking. So he achieved that in 2018, and then in 2020, he didn't play a whole lot because of the pandemic. Obviously, there were less matches. He won, he, he had a record of 16 and 12 in 2020, did Borna Choric, and I just want to shout out one of the craziest matches I've ever seen. At the 2020 U.S. Open, he was playing Sitsipas in the third round, and Sitsipas was up two sets to one, 5-1, 40 love in the fourth set, and in an empty stadium with just the coaches in there, Chorich came all the way back to get that win, 7-6 uh, in the fifth, final score of 6-7, 6-4, 4-6, 7576 at the 2020 US Open. And that was a really signature win for him at the time. And then Chorich fell off the face of the earth because he got injured. So just to go through that, in 2021, he played early in the season. He got to the quarters of a warm up tournament in January. He, he lost early in Australia in 2021. Then he made the semis of Rotterdam, in which was held in March of that year. He lost to Fucevic, so that was in early March. Then he had shoulder surgery a couple of months later, and he missed the rest of the 2021 season. And this year, he's come back. He has not had very much success. He's only won four matches coming into this week. 
He had a tour-level record of 4-8, and eight, did Chorich. And his ranking has slipped to 152 because of his timeout with the injury. He's in the Cincinnati main draw this week on a protected ranking, which is, for those of you that don't know, basically you get a certain number of times where you can use your pre-injury ranking to get into a tournament. So that's how he was able to get into the Cincinnati draw this week, despite being ranked 152. And just to finish up on Chorich's career statistics on this page that I'm looking at, because I got a lot of tabs. I got maybe 10 tabs open. It's a big show today, and I'm hopefully going to have the energy to get through it all. Like I said on one of the other pods, I'm not the best at energy at this time of day, late at night, but I'm going to try to power through. I've got some thoughts written down here, so I can hopefully not forget anything. I probably will forget something, but I'm going to try to maybe slow down a bit, think about it. Remember, this is an amateur pod. I'm still figuring this out. So, powering through, let me take a sip of my coffee. Here it is. So, Chorich at the Grand Slams won quarterfinal. It was at that U.S. Open where he won that crazy match. In the Masters Series, one final and one other semi. So, this is a guy that has not had a huge impact at the highest levels of the tour, even though he got to world number 12 at one time. I think I'm good on Xing out of this page. So let's go ahead and do that. And we also discussed his rankings and his recent activity. And then coming into the match today, he had won his opening round match. So, and he, spoiler alert, got the win today. So in the first seven and a half months of the season, George had four wins. In the last three days, he's had two wins. So, he's already having uh, the best stretch of his season, I would probably say. And Chorich is also 25 years old. He turned pro in 2013. He's from Croatia. 6'2". Just reading off his bio here. Alright, I think we can X out of the Borna Chorich bio. Talking about Rafa, whenever Rafa plays, it's hotly anticipated. And this was his first match since July 6th, about six weeks ago, when he defeated Taylor Fritz in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, 3-6-7-5, And then he was slated to play Nick Kyrgios in the semifinals, but withdrew due to an abdominal tear. And there was some discussion at the time about how Fritz should have played, should Fritz have gotten his spot, and the answer to those two are Fritz should have played a lot better than he did, and no, he shouldn't have gotten the spot when Nadal pulled out. And just to go back on these stats before we get to the match here, you know, Rafa ended up losing this match today, and this was the first time that Rafa lost since he lost to Denis Shapovalov, back in May at Rome, which I had forgotten. So in Rafa's historically awesome and historically unprecedented and what a joy, what a treat 2022, here are the people that he's lost to. He's lost to Borna Chorich, Denis Shapovalov, Carlos Alcaraz, and Taylor Fritz. And he's beaten players like Berrettini, Medvedev, a couple of times, Kyrgios, um, Djokovic, Rude, Zverev, Ajay Aliassim. 
and then he has losses to maybe players that you don't expect, which is interesting. Um, in terms of setting the stage for Rafa, we'll talk about his uh, Cincinnati results a little bit later. Let me tab on over to that so I can save that for a later discussion point. Getting into the match, uh, I left my notebook in the other room, and I'm not going to go stand up to go get it. So now it's time to test my memory, see how good it really is. So the first set, there were no breaks, and I thought, and this is going to be a theme for the whole match, Rafa didn't return particularly well throughout the whole match, and that would include the first set. So that allowed Chorich to get a couple of holds, and Rafa served first in that set. The match started about 7.15 p.m., and in the first set, Chorich was serving at 4.5, love 15, and there was a rain delay just before 8 o'clock, and uh, they had a rain delay for about an hour and a half, and they came back at 9.16, I do remember that, so hopefully my memory will not fail me here. And they came back, and that was a really interesting position for Chorich to be in, coming off of a rain delay, uh, serving number one to stay in a set, and number two at love 15. Because if you come back and you lose a couple of points, then your set point's down, and then if you lose that, you can wait an hour and a half come back and then very quickly lose a set or you could hold that game and then the match completely changes and luckily for Chorich he held his serve there and the first set went to a tiebreak it was a long and winding one the tiebreak took over 15 minutes and Rafa got behind early and he kind of got back into it and then for me, the defining point of the match was Rafa having uh, two set points, particularly a point at 6-5 in the tiebreak on Rafa's serve with the mini break, and he made a really bad error. And I just want to play that real quick. Oh, that's a bullet. Muscles that's that one it. away. So here's the point where Nadal is serving at... 6-5 in that breaker. Let's listen to the commentary. It's hard to show in, an, in a non-visual medium, but Rafa makes a bad unforced air here. Let's listen quickly. No. He's missed it by quite a distance. Yep. I'll just play that one more time to describe what's happening in there. It's a bullet. Muscles that one away. Here it is. Rafa comes in. He hits a swinging volley from no man's land. And he's got the whole left side of the court. Chorich is way back behind the baseline, close to the signboard on the deuce side of the court. Rafa has the open court to the ad side to win the set on a swinging volley from no man's land and and no he hits it into the middle of the doubles alley it wasn't even necessarily that close definitely live it was a shocking miss live and then let's play maybe and let's have one more point here oh he's missed it by quite a distance so now, this is the second defining point of the tiebreak. Rafa is serving at 9-10 here. And he double faults. Well, if Rafa is going to win this, he's going to have to do it the hard way. So in that crucial moment, Rafa's serve let him down. And also keep in mind, he's been out with the ab injury, which affects the serve because you have to contort your body that part of your body to have an effective serve so again the first set Borna Chorich wins it 
Nadal returned poorly throughout that set, and he had that one bad double fault on his own serve at the most inopportune time. Nadal had two set points in that set, but Chorich is the guy that wins it. Right after that set happened, I was kind of joking with people on my texts and on Twitter that, oh, you know, Rafa's going to win this 6-7, 6-1, 6-2, because I was thinking Chorich has been out injured. He doesn't really tend to go deep in these tournaments. And for a while, that's what happened. Chorich had his chances early in the second set to stretch the lead, maybe win in straights. But as the set went on, he played um, one bad game in there. And Nadal got the break lead at 3-all. He got the break for 4-3. And the break stood up Rafa... Uh, eventually served out the second set, 6-4. And at that point, I thought, okay, Rafa's not playing his best, but he'll get through in the end. I was definitely backing Rafa in that third set. And to go through the third set now, the games went with serve. And until... Rafa was serving at 2-3, and let's go, let's view that here, let's take a look. This is 1540. Out it goes. Yep, and I think Rafa double faulted in that game as well, but I don't think they show that here. But just take my word for it. That serving game at 2-3 from Rafa, it was another bad service game for him. And ultimately that ended up costing him. And here is... How good is that from Borna Chorich? Here is the match point for Chorich. He gets it done. What a win for Borna Chorich. So, Borna Chorich gets that win over the number two seed and the number one player in the race, Rafael Nadal. 7-6-4-6-6-3. To go on the... To finish talking about what actually happened in the match from Chorich's side, I thought he was alright, but for me this match was more about Nadal's form. Um, I thought throughout the whole match, Nadal returned poorly, and then I thought that his serve was not zippy, especially letting him down in key moments late in the first set and what turned out to be pretty late in the final set. So, from Rafa's end, when you're serving poorly and when you're returning poorly, there's not much that's going right for you. So, if you if both facets of your game are not working, it's definitely not a surprise that he lost. I would say it's kind of a surprise that he made it as close as he did, Rafa. Um, in terms of what does this mean for the US Open? I wouldn't draw any conclusions from that, and he would say the same thing. Rafa would tell you, this was Cincinnati, New York is going to be New York. And he's got almost two weeks before he has to play again, so I, I wouldn't necessarily draw any big conclusions from this match. Um, let's take a look at the stats for this one. To see if there's anything interesting in here. Nadal had seven double faults to only six aces, so he was underwater on that. And that's definitely backed up by what I was saying. Um, let's see. 
Each player only lost his serve once. Which is a little surprising considering how poorly Nadal served at times. Total points 1, Shorich 96, Nadal 89. Again, there was one break each. Let me see if it gives me the errors. Do we have unforced errors here? We do. So let's take a look at the winners to unforced ratio. Chorich was plus 9, and Rafa was minus 1. That's pretty rare for Rafa. Usually Rafa has a very low number of errors, but Rafa has 23 errors to only 22 winners today. Thinking about the match, let me just take a moment to make sure I went over everything that happened between the Lions. I think that about covers it. So, now let's move into talking about the 10,000-foot view implications here. But before we do that, let me take my headphones off. It's time for another sip of the coffee. Let's get that coffee here. It's 10.49 now. This pod is going to go past 11 for sure. Got to be ready. Okay, pause and collect my thoughts. Let's take one more sip. Okay, let's do the head-to-head stat now. So coming into this match, Chorich was 2-2 two and two against Nadal head-to-head. And by getting this win, Chorich now has a winning head-to-head record. They've played five times. Chorich has won three of them, and Nadal has won two of them. And it's interesting, two of those matches have come at Cincinnati. The first meeting was in 2016, and on that occasion... Chorich blitzed Nadal, but that was one of Nadal's... Nadal was going through his doldrums at the time, and Cincinnati is not his best tournament anyway, so I didn't take that too much into account when thinking about today. Just to be clear, I'm very surprised by this result. I did not expect this at all. I thought Rafa would get to the finals, so again, my finals predictions on a historically terrible streak. It's hard to be more wrong than I've been since I started the podcast doing my predictions. But Chorich now leads Rafa 3-2 to two head-to-head, including 2-0 and oh in Cincinnati. Yes, it's a little fortunate for Chorich that he's played Nadal twice in Cincinnati and won both, If they played at Roland Garros seven or eight times, Chorich would not have a winning head-to-head record against Nadal. You know what I'm saying? However, on the ATP World Tour, a win is a win is a win. And if you get fortunate enough to get in a position where you have this nice-looking stat, Chorich will not care how how it came around at all. He'll just care that he has it. Only three players have faced Rafa five or more times and have a winning record against him. Novak Djokovic is 30-28 and 28 against Rafa, and that spans their whole careers. Nikolai Davidenko is 6-5 and five against Rafa, but as you guys know, a lot of that is from years ago when Rafa was not as proficient on hard courts and Davidenko was. You know, Davidenko was good enough to win the 2009 ATP Finals. And now, late in Nadal's career, it's happened again. Chorich is the third. So think about that. Think about this list of players to have a winning head-to-head record against Rafael Nadal. Novak Djokovic, Nikolai Davidenko, Borna Chorich. That's a heck of a list right there, isn't it? It absolutely is. 
And I mentioned that this happened at Cincinnati. Two meetings, two defeats. Cincinnati is unquestionably one of Rafael Nadal's worst tournaments. I, I would say it's in his bottom two. I would say of the big events, Cincinnati and Bercy are by far his worst. And I maybe put Shanghai in there as well. And there's no... It's no coincidence that the last three Masters of the Year are where Rafa struggles the most. Just looking at Rafa's Cincinnati record, this year, second round. 2021, did not play. 2020, did not play. 2019, did not play. 2018, did not play. 2017, quarterfinal. 2016, third round. 2015, third round. 2014, did not play. These are very slim pickings. 2013, he did win the tournament, but Rafa won everything in 2013 on the tour. 2012, did not play. 2011, quarters. 2010, quarters. 2009, semi. 2008, semi. That was a good run there. 2007, second round. 2006, quarter. 2005, first round. 2004, first round. So, the results speak for themselves. Cincinnati has not been a very fruitful place for Rafa. And just to briefly engage on which tournament is his worst of the big ones, he's won Wimbledon twice, even though it's been 12 years. I don't think that counts. Paris Masters, the indoor Masters event in November. Rafa has one, two, three, four, four semis and a final. In Shanghai, Rafa's got a win and two other finals. In Cincinnati, he's only got three semis, one of which was his championship. So if you go by semifinals or better, Cincinnati, he's got three. Shanghai, he's got six. And Paris, he's got five. So even though he's never won Paris and he has won Cincinnati, if you look at the preponderance of the evidence, Cincinnati, I would say, is his worst. And if, oh, Wikipedia's got the totals here on the right-hand side. He's only won 22 matches in Cincinnati, and that is by far the least. And he's 22-12 and in Cincinnati and 22-6 and in Bercy. So Cincinnati is statistically his worst tournament. There is no question about that. You know, and briefly addressing why that could be, I think a, a couple things. Number one, it's the calendar. By August, Rafa's traditionally kind of beat up after playing all season. And this is kind of corroborated by the fact that he also has poor results at Shanghai and Paris late in the year. Um, it's the speed of the court as well, especially back when Federer was winning Cincinnati every year. The courts were very fast. Cincinnati is one of the quickest events on tour, or at least it was back then. And that is a reason why Nadal was not successful because on a quick court, his opponents can hit through him more. And I also think coming off of Canada, Rafa's won Canada five times, and he's won Cincinnati one time. I think the playing two weeks in a row on hard courts in the middle of August, after you've been playing tennis for eight months, I think Rafa's struggled with that throughout his career. So those are some of the reasons why I think Rafa does poorly in Cincinnati. But you know what? If you take the grand scheme of his career, I think not doing well in Cincinnati is uh, not something that he'll care that much about. 
Like no one, no Rafa fan, and Rafa himself would never say, "Oh, I've got my um, fourteen Roland Garros titles. I, I I would trade three of them for a Cincinnati title." Like nobody would ever ever say that. So, Cincinnati, love you. You're a great tournament. Just Rafa's just not that into you, I guess. Is Nadal healthy? Today he wasn't. Will he be? Maybe. Does this change the U.S. Open prognostication? No. What is the U.S. Open prognostication? If he if he takes the court there, he'll be a factor. And I know he took the court here in Cincinnati, and he wasn't really a factor, but Rafa's earned the benefit of the doubt. If he shows up in the first two days of the U.S. Open... He's going to be in it to win it, and I'm going to give him the respect that that would deserve. This is a big result tonight in the race rankings. Not so much in an immediate change, but more so in the fact that now a couple of players with a good week, they can potentially close the gap on Rafa in the race rankings. Taking a look at it now, Rafa's been number one pretty much the whole year. He's got 5,630 points right now in 2022. Alcaraz is next with 4,370. So right now, Rafa is up by a total of 1,260 points. If one of the guys close to him in the rankings wins the tournament this week, they close that gap to within you know, 200, 300 points, which is much more manageable. Alcaraz, Tsitsipas are the ones that are most directly behind him. So especially if one of those two guys goes on to win the Western and Southern Open this week, then we would finally have a little bit of intrigue for the number one race for this year because it really hasn't been a race for six or seven months now. Pretty much since Rafa won Australia, it's been him at the top all along. So it would be very interesting. And he'll still be number one in the race points after this week. But I'm very, very interested in the margin. And Alcaraz and Tsitsipas are at the stage of their careers where these tour-level events and these points, they matter. Because they, they are still week-in, week-out players, unlike a guy like Rafa, you know, who's earned, you know, the right to schedule minimally. Anyway, I'm very interested to see how Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, and the rest kind of respond to this. This result today means that Daniil Medvedev will be the top seed and the defending champion for the 2022 United States Open. If it would have been 1-2 either way, I mean, you guys know that doesn't change your draw materially, whether you're number one or number two. You want to be in the top two, but being either one doesn't necessarily impact your draw, or it doesn't impact your draw. But it's going to be a nice symbolic thing. Medvedev is going to be the number one seed at the next Grand Slam, and Rafael Nadal will not be. Let me see if I have anything else to talk about this match. I do, actually. So I found the press conference of Nadal talking about the match afterwards, and I haven't listened to it yet, so I'm going to play that audio now. Let's take a listen to Rafael Nadal's press conference. Well, obviously, I didn't play my best match, you know, but um, something that can happen. Um, yeah, uh, historically, uh, this. ServiceNow helps CHROs look at their organizations holistically and deliver unified, connected employee experiences. That's why the world Sorry works about that. with ServiceNow. Well, obviously, I didn't play my best match, you know, but um, 
something that can happen. Um, yeah, uh, historically uh, this tournament has been difficult for me. Uh, so coming back from uh, yeah a tough period of time, uh, something that um, easy to accept and uh, easy to say congrats to to Borna that he played better. And that's it, just well done to him. Rafa, what did you find encouraging? What did you find discouraging about your game? Well, I mean, <laughs> difficult to do, to take a lot of positive things, but mm, I mean, anything. Proof. No, I need to practice. I need to to return better. Uh, I need to. I need days, and that's the truth. No, uh, obviously, ah, I had my chances at the beginning. In the tiebreak, I had uh, two important chances with two set points that I played terrible with two more or less easy shots. And then, uh, yeah, bad game in the third. Uh, that's it. Tennis. Uh, mm, under these circumstances, against a player who served well, uh, I had my chance again in the in the third with a love thirty, and I played uh, yeah a couple of terrible points. So yeah, of course it's better uh, because when you are coming back from a period of time uh, outside, if you are able to to win the first match, uh, then uh, things gets better. No, but um, was not the case today. Um, one day will happen. Uh, obviously, a lot of times coming back from injuries, I I did uh, positive things, but in this in this particular case, um, it's obvious that um, I was not ready enough uh, to win the match today. And um, as I said, credit to to Borna that he he played brave. He served, I think, well. I mean, uh, easy to. To say that uh, if you are not able to to play a little bit more aggressive uh, under these circumstances and to to take a little bit uh, advantage on the opportunities, then uh, this kind of thing happens. So you lose, <laughs> you move forward. Uh, I know the the way. The main thing for me is uh, stay healthy. Uh, have been a difficult injury to manage, to be honest. Uh, the last uh, month and a half have haven't been easy because um, having a tear on the abdominal, you don't know uh, when it's 100% over the thing, so uh, that affects a little bit uh, in terms of uh, not sure if uh, you are able to to try uh, your best in every serve. Uh, so uh, you know, I said before the tournament, no, I need to take a step by step, and happened, and that's it. Well done for him. Well, um, in some ways, it's difficult to to analyze, no? Because uh, when you have uh, a cicatriz, a scarf. When you have a scarf, uh, uh, then uh, the, the the line is very thin, you know. Uh, when when it's because the scar don't have enough flexibility, then you feel it. Uh, but you don't know if you feel it because of that, and or because if something are not going well. No, so uh, you need to to take care in every single uh, moment. So um, I probably gonna do some tests after here to 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 confirm that everything stays uh, the way that uh, we want. Um, but that's it. No, I am positive. I was able to to have a week of practice here, trying my best in every single day, practicing days better. I practiced much better than the way that I played today, honestly. So, yeah, nothing happens. Uh, of course, it's better to win, but uh, at the same time, of course, remain one week and a half for me for New York. No, as I said before the tournament, uh, I am sad to 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 not play well here. Um, this tournament is enough important, but in that in that moment, I have to move forward mentally, you know. And uh, in terms of practice, I need to start to to 
to be in a Grand Slam mode, uh, practicing uh, the way that I need to practice to, to be competitive since the beginning there. And I hope I will be able to make that happen. Cincinnati has been a tough tournament for you results-wise in the past, mm -hmm. but New York has been very good for you recently. What do you think it is about New York that brings out the best in you that you're looking forward to, uh, to feeling again? So you've been here for a couple of years now. Well, difficult to talk, no, but um, it's true that um, this tournament have been, haven't been the, the, the easiest for me during all my tennis career, even if I was able to win one year. But it was the year that I was achieving almost everything. Uh, and uh, I make a couple of more semifinals, I think, no, or one. I don't know. But uh, it's true that was, I don't know, for some weird reason, this tournament. Um, I never had the best feelings, uh, but in, in the other hand, I felt very welcome here all the time. I can't thank enough the, the organization for for making me the things very easy. I try my best, as they know, um, and I'm sorry that I'm out in the in the first round. No, but uh, that's tennis, that's sport. Uh, the other opponent plays well, and um, and he played better than me today, and that's it. And uh, in terms of New York. I don't know. It's a Grand Slam. Uh, it's a it's a different kind of tournament, um, but at the same time, it's tennis. No, if if I'm not playing well, probably uh, I will follow the same <laughs> route than here. Uh, but I know the way that I I have to to do uh, to be in a different condition. It's true that I'm gonna have uh, already two weeks and a half. Uh, on the tour, practicing with the guys, something that I was not able to make happen before here, first set. I, I was able only to play two sets before this match uh, in the last 40 days. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing. No, and that's it. No, no, just uh, I played against a tough opponent that he already beat me in the past, so uh, he know how to do it. He's brave, uh, he's a fighter, and uh, he went through some tough Tough moments with injuries too, so happy to see him back. Um, and I need to move forward and just uh, start to to think about uh, the the energy that the crowd uh, gave me in New York. I know it's a very special place for me, and uh, I enjoyed unforgettable moments there. And uh, I'm gonna try my very best every single day to be ready for that. But I don't. Of course, I didn't try because I practice with the with the ball that I played. But I I don't think it's an important topic at all. <laughs> so there you have it. That was Rafael Nadal's press conference this evening in full. Interesting to hear him echo what I was saying about how it has not been the best tournament for him in his career. So. If he says it, and I say it, and if, we're, if I'm on the same page with a guy like Rafael Nadal, I think that is a pretty good take, good analysis by me. Not hard, you know? I mean, anybody can look at the results, and they say what they say. Um, so we're 40, 43, 44 minutes into the pod, and we are still on that one match, so I think... Now it's probably good. Let's move on. Let's talk about some other matches. Let's... I'll talk about this one other one. So one other match that I had my eye on today was uh, between Denis Shapovalov and Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul had the good week last week, which you guys know about, and... Uh, Denis Shapovalov has not been having very many good weeks recently. Since he was w one of the guys to beat Nadal back in Rome, he really hasn't had that much success at all. So coming into today, it could have been good, or it could have been a clunker. And uh, Shapovalov got up to love in the first set, and then 
he only won, I think it was eight or nine points. I think it was nine, the rest of the set. And Tommy Paul came back to win that set 6-3 after being down Love 2. So Love 2 to 6-3 for Tommy Paul in that first set. And in the second set, Tommy Paul got up 4-1, double break. Shapovalov was on his way out of here. He wasn't playing well at all. He was getting kind of negative. And then there was a fan incident in the crowd. This match was on grandstand court, a court which I have sat on many, many times in my multiple visits to the Western and Southern Open. And the gate that most people enter through, the gate where you're coming from the kind of main area of the food court and you walk to the grandstand court and it's on your left and center court's on your right. And when you walk left to get into the grandstand, it looked like at that particular entrance where I've stood behind that chain many times, looks like somebody was having a little trouble there. And they stopped that match with Tommy Paul serving at 6-3-4-1, double break. And Arlie Tort, the umpire, went over to that side of the court. She was asking somebody, a tournament official, what was happening. And she was told that the person fainted and that they were, quote, unresponsive, unquote, and to call 911, which is kind of serious. And a couple of moments later, the person did become responsive, and then play continued. But just to very briefly address fainting fans, because it seems to happen all around the world with some regularity, it's not a rare thing. I don't know if it's necessarily common, but it's certainly been known to happen several times in many tournaments. And in my opinion, regardless of your age, 30, 85, you have to know the weather when you're going to an outdoor sporting event and when you're going to sit in the hot sun for hours on end. You know, if you're 85 years old, you shouldn't be going to these tournaments. Or, if you're 25 years old, you probably shouldn't drink all night beforehand and then go to a tournament all day in the hot sun. I didn't see the person, so I don't know the age of the person. But regardless, if you're a spectator, you have to prepare to hydrate and to wear sunscreen You have to be healthy when you're at these tournaments. But I hope that person ended up being alright. After that, the momentum totally changed. And Tommy Paul went completely off the boil. And they played eight games afterwards. After that delay and stoppage, Shapovalov won eight straight games. And... Tommy Paul got it back a little bit late in the match, but it was too late. And Denis Shapovalov comes back from a set and double double breakdown to beat Tommy Paul 6-3 in the third. So that's a really disappointing result for Tommy Paul. Number one, because he stops the momentum from the last week or so. Number two, because he lost from a winning position. And number three because he lost from a winning position against a guy that hasn't been winning tennis matches. On the other hand, if you're Shapovalov, all that fake fist pumping finally came good for Dennis. He's the kind of guy that would celebrate if he was down love 6, love 5, love 40, and his opponent double faulted. Dennis Shapovalov would automatically give his usual, Come on! Sorry if I just hurt your ears there. But that's what Shapovalov does after every single point, it appears. He actually didn't do it as much toward the end of the match. I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to jinx it. Who knows? But conversely from what happened to Tommy Paul, that's a good result for Shapovalov. And just a shout-out, kind of the third spotlight match of the day. I didn't see this one, but Anz Jabor... Uh, saved two match points to beat Catherine McNally, 7-6 in the third, and we'll read that one out shortly. That was definitely a good match there. Tough one for McNally, especially given, especially given what tournament this is. 
Alright, I think it's time to start moving this along. So now let's read the scores and look at the schedule for, for Thursday, then we'll get out of here. So, these are the scores from Wednesday, August 17th. Round of 32 action from the Western and Southern Open. On the women's side, Elise Mertens beat the number 14 seed Karolina Pliskova, 7-6-6-3. Buzkova withdrew with injury, presumably. Risk arbitrage moving on. Rogers also advanced via a walkover. Zhang beat Alexandrova 6-3-6-4. Elena Rybakina, current Wimbledon champion, beats number 8 Garbine Muguruza, former Wimbledon champion, 6-3-6-1. On the podcast last week, I mentioned Muguruza's struggles, and only four games today. Again, not necessarily a good day for her in, at the office. Jessica Pagula came back to routine Kostiak, 6-7-6-1-6-2. Petra Kvitova looked good in a win over Kirstea, 6-2-6-3. In that late match that finished after 1 a.m., Tom Lanovich upset the number three seed Paula Bedosa, 6-7-6-love-6-2. Simona Halep pulled out with a quote-unquote thigh injury, giving the walkover to Kuder Matova. Madison Keys beat Ostapenko, the number 16 seed, 6-4-7-5. In another retirement, number six seed Irina Sabalenka gets past Kalinskaya, 6-3-4-1 retired. Iga Sviantek got back on the horse today. She was up a set in 5-2 over Sloane Stevens and eventually got it done 6-4-7-5. Like I just said a moment ago, Anz Jabor, the number five seed, beat Katie McNally, the wild card from Cincinnati, 6-3-4-6-7-6 in a thriller. And the number 10 seed, Emma Raducanu, destroyed Victoria Azarenka, 6-love, 6-2. People on Twitter said she couldn't find the court, and the scoreline would seem to back that up. On the women's matches today, for this round, retirements and walkovers, there were a total of 1, 2, 3, 4, Four? Four is a lot for one round. On the men's side today, the round of 32 results were thus. Yannick Sinner got a retirement win over Kekmanovic, 7-5-3-1. Sinner gets a little bit of rest time back following his long Kokonakis match. Number six seed Andre Rublev defeated the Peacock, Fabio Fagnini, 6-7-7-6-6-2. Number 15, Roberto Bautista Agut beat the qualifier Marcus Giron, 6-3-6-3. In one of the upsets of the day, Ben Shelton, the Florida Gator wildcard, beat ATP number five, Casper Ruud, 6-3-6-3. There's a lot to cover. I might come back to that. We'll see how I feel in a minute. Sorry, Ben. There, there, lots of other stuff happened today. You'll get your moment, I'm sure. Number four seed, Stefanos Tsitsipas, got a win over Krajanovic, 6-3-6-4. Yes, Stefanos Tsitsipas finally won a tennis match. It's his first victory since before the Kyrgios-Wimbledon match. John Isner beat the... Canada finalist Hubert Hercotch, the number eight seed, seven six six seven six two. Number seven Felix Auger Aliassime beat Alex Damonar in the matchup of three namers, six three six two. In a late night match, Seb Corda beat Francis Tiafo, four six six one six four. As I said, Denis Shapovalov beat Tommy Paul, 
3664 And um, Borna Chorich beat the number two seed Rafael Nadal 764663. Taylor Fritz beat an exhausted Nick Kyrgios 6362. Yes, it's pretty clear that Nick Kyrgios is not the best player in the world as of today. But Rafa lost, so who is the best player in the world right now? It's kind of a jump ball. Whoever can win a couple matches the rest of this week, maybe they'll be the new unofficial best player in the world. And then the number nine seed, Cameron Norrie, came back on Andy Murray in an all-Brit battle. 3-6, Just quickly to go back to Ben Shelton, um, I want to make sure I give him his due. He's the 2022 NCAA singles champion. He's inside the top 200 now. This is only his fourth match at the ATP Tour level and only his second match at the Masters 1000 level or above. In his second big tournament match ever, he's basically an amateur. He beats a top five player in the world. Yes, it was Casper Ruud, not necessarily the most menacing top five player that's ever existed, but... A win is a win is a win, and I don't care who you are. If you're basically an amateur and you beat an ATP top five without losing a set, that is a darn good result. Well done to Ben Shelton. It pains me as a Florida State Seminole to have to give you some credit, but it really doesn't, actually. all, All that stuff's ancient history, you know? So Ben Shelton gets the win. That's a big, big win. Sorry, Ben, I'm not really doing it justice, but I've been talking for 56 minutes or been listening to a clip and talking for 56 minutes. It's 11.25 p.m. where I'm at, so I'll be sure to give you your due going forward. (sighs) Let's talk about tomorrow's schedule, then we'll get out of here. Let's take a look. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, Here it is. Okay, so this is going to be the round of 16. This is going to be the schedule for the Western and Southern Open round of 16 for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. Just one moment. Let's zoom in on this so I can see it a little better. Okay, first up at 11 a.m., Andre Rublev versus Taylor Fritz. Petra Kvitova versus Anz Jabor. Allison Risk Amritraj against Elena Rybakina. And Nick Kyrgios and Kokonakis play the number one doubles seeds at 11.30 a.m. Ram and Salisbury. 1 p.m. Iga Sviantek versus Madison Keys. 1 p.m. Daniil Medvedev versus Denis Shapovalov. 1 p.m. Shuai Zhang versus Annette Kantevate. 1.30 p.m. Stefanos Tsitsipas versus Diego Schwartzman. Oh, this is terrible. This is absolutely horrific. At 3 p.m., Alia Tomlanovic is going to play Veronika Kudermatova. So... Just to go through that real quick, Tom Lanovich finished at 1.30 in the morning. She probably is not going to get to bed until 5 or 6, and she has to play a match 8 hours later. That How is, she, how is that match not at night? Uh, again, just like I said yesterday, the people that make the schedule, they don't care about you and I, and apparently they don't, they don't care about Alia Tomlanovich either. That's a shame. 3 p.m., Roberto Bautista Agut against Borna Chorich. 4 p.m., Sebastian Corda versus John Isner. So, not watching that one. Sorry, John. Interesting that all the matches have not before times on them. Uh, later on, happy hour, Elise Mertens versus Carolyn Garcia, followed by Ben Shelton versus Cameron Norrie. Hey, if Ben Shelton can beat the number 5 seed, the number 9 seed should be no problem, right? 
I mean, it's doable. I mean, Nori and Rude are kind of similar, maybe. Maybe he can do it. The night matches for Thursday, the 18th. Two matches on two courts at 7 o'clock on center court. Jessica Pagula versus Emma Raducanu on grandstand. Felix Auger Aliasim versus Yannick Sinner. 8.30 p.m. on grandstand. Arena Sabalenka versus Shelby Rogers. Then the second match on center court. Carlos Alcaraz versus Marin Cilic. The coverage gets underway at 11 a.m. Eastern. Cable TV coverage is going to be on Tennis Channel. Tennis Channel Plus has WTA and ATP streams, and Tennis TV has ATP streams, including commentary free feeds for every court. Those are my favorite. If you've made it through an hour-long podcast, what are you doing? What are you still doing here? No, but seriously, thank you for listening all the way to the end. This is a record for longest pod so far, but there was a lot to unpack today. Um, A good long day of tennis, lots to discuss. It's going to be an interesting weekend moving forward. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast was courtesy of Oregon Productions.